Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work. And you can find out more and give them a call. Visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date. By reading Life in Naples, the website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll be picking up our conversation we left off last week on inequality. Andrew Jopp is a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy will be joining us as well as Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books. His latest will be coming out shortly. He wrote it with Buzz Aldrin, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier. It is October the 27th, and on this day in 1994, the U.S. Department of Justice announced that the U.S. prison population had topped 1 million for the first time in American history. The figure, 1,012,851 men and women, were in state and federal prisons. It did not even include local prisons, where estimated 500,000 prisoners were held, usually for short periods of time. The increase, due to tougher sentencing laws, made the United States second only to Russia in the world for incarceration rates at the time. Today, the United States has the highest incarceration rate in the world. Can you imagine that? The freest nation in the world, by some measures with uh, 25% of, its, uh, of, the pop- of the incarcerated population in the world in prison here in the United States. Of the characteristics of prison population in 1994, the vast majority of prisoners were male, behind bars on drug-related convictions, while there was an extremely disproportionate number of African Americans behind bars compared with those and their distribution in American society as whole, with only 13% of the population. Racial imbalance was also present in the 2,890 prisoners under sentence of death in 1994, 42% of which were uh, African American. So uh, there's no question that these drug laws have uh, played havoc with prison populations. And if you think about it, uh, there is no victim except for the person who, who takes the drugs. So for my, my, I'm for legalizing marijuana for sure. Uh, perhaps just immobilizing these gangs that are distributing these illicit drugs, make them legal and provide information and help people educate people. Well, yesterday, an advisory panel to the FDA gave a thumbs up to Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine for kids ages 5 to 11. A major concern has been whether the relatively small risk of myocarditis or heart inflammation outweighs the benefits After trials involving a few thousand kids, the advisory group said it's worth it and that a lower dose of vaccine, a third of the dose needed for adults, gets the job done just fine. Next up, the FDA and CDC give this a full review, and the vaccine could be ready for kiddos on uh, an emergency use authorization as soon as next week. Can you believe that? Very little study in this. Just think about these young people taking a shot, and we have no idea what impact they could have on their lives going forward. And uh, there's minimal risk for getting infection or disease uh, from COVID, and uh, certainly a risk with regard to heart disease, among other things that we don't have, we're not even sure of. Children should not be vaccinated against the virus that causes COVID-19, according to Harvard University professor of medicine Martin Kaldorf. I don't think children should be vaccinated for COVID. I'm a huge fan of vaccinating children from measles, from mumps, polio, rotavirus, and many other diseases that's critical. But COVID is not a huge threat to children, he said. American Thought Leaders Program, the uh, full episode, uh, this is on Epic TV. They can be infected just like they can uh, get the common cold, but they're not, uh, they're not a big threat. They don't die from the, this except in a very rare circumstance. So if you want to talk about protecting children or keeping children safe, I think we can talk about traffic accidents, for example, which are really at some risk. And there's other things that we could be make sure of the kids are safe, but COVID is not a big risk factor for children. 
Uh, and it makes me wonder if, in fact, parents will have a choice. Ultimately, I think this administration will try and force-feed vaccines to children ages 5 to 11. What a shame. Well, the Pentagon stated Tuesday that nearly 450 American citizens are still in Afghanistan following August the uh, U.S. military withdrawal from Afghanistan. The latest tally came from Undersecretary of Defense uh, for Policy, Colin Call. After Senate Jim Imhoff, a Republican from Oklahoma, pointed to what he believed were contradictory, at least confusing numbers that the administration has presented since August 31st. In terms of how many American citizens we estimate are currently in Afghanistan, the Department of State is in contact with 196 American citizens who are ready to depart, and arrangements are being made for them to do so, either by air or ground. And another 243 American citizens have been contacted but are not ready to depart either because they want to stay in Afghanistan or just aren't ready, Call said. The total number of 439 American citizens still in Afghanistan is up from 363 in the State Department, had told Congress last week, which itself was up from the estimated roughly 100 the administration said in September. How does that number keep growing? What will it be next month? So uh, they're making plans to withdraw these uh, citizens. And there's been a surprising number who've been withdrawn by uh, privately arranged circumstances with charter planes. Unbelievable that the government, not (laughs) private citizens, not the government, is making these arrangements. Well, Florida's job market is recovering significantly faster than the national average, according to new figures. The United States economy gained 194,000 jobs in, in the month of September. Severely missing economists' expectations. However, Florida alone gained 84,500 of those jobs during the same period, leading the nation in terms of the largest percentage increase. According to a statement from the office of Governor Ron DeSantis, Florida's economy accelerated in September 2021, growing at three times the rate over the month compared to the nation. Overall, for the month, Florida gained 84,500 jobs, including nearly 73,000 private sector jobs, This month marks 17 months of private sector job growth, increasing by 5.6 year-over-year. Florida has experienced this magnitude of monthly gains in private sector job growth only on other four occasions in the past 30 years. In addition, Florida has experienced 11 consecutive months of labor force increases, adding 50,000 workers over over the month. Florida's labor force... uh, represents a 5.4% increase year-over-year, which is significantly higher than the national rate of 0.8% in total. Florida's gained more than 1 million jobs since April 2020. Congratulations, Governor, and I think it has a lot to do with you keeping the economy open. We're outpacing the nation in job growth and job opportunities because businesses know that Florida will stand up for them. Despite tremendous national headwinds and economic uncertainty, Florida has reached a level of job growth only seen in four other occasions in the past 30 years. We will continue to work hard to keep Florida open, free, and built for opportunity, said Governor DeSantis. Well done, Governor. In addition to that, Republican Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida touted a new effort from the state to recruit law enforcement officers amid job losses over COVID-19 vaccine mandates. He explained that during a segment of Sunday Morning uh, Futures with Fox News that uh, Florida is planning to offer outside law enforcement officers a bonus to relocate to the state. The proposed offer comes amid a wave of officer terminations over refusal to receive the COVID-19 vaccine. In Florida, not only are we not going to want to to protect the law enforcement and all other jobs, we are actively working to recruit out-of-state Law enforcement, because we do have needs in our police and sheriff's departments, he said, explaining that he had to introduce and sign new legislation offering out-of-state police officers a $5,000 bonus in order to relocate. These people we've been hailing as heroes, the nurses that we've been hailing as heroes, this whole time they've been working day in and day out, he said during a Zoom interview. They couldn't do it their job on Zoom. They had to do, and they had to be there, and they did it with honor and integrity. And he continued to decry the efforts to remove people from the jobs over refusal to get vaccinated, citing it as a personal decision for people to decide whether they want to get the shot or not. And Biden's uh, 
doing is unconstitutional. He does not have the authority to do this, he explained. And uh, it's creating havoc and disruptions in the medical, law enforcement, and logistical industries. So uh, I think he's absolutely right. Well, I think it's a pretty smart move when you see Chicago Police Superintendent David Brown announced that uh, 21 police officers had been placed on non-pay status. Well, maybe if those are good police officers, they apply and they meet the qualifications in Florida. Maybe they can move here and get a $5,000 bonus to boot. I think it's a great idea on the part of the governor. Meanwhile, we're going to see defunding of the police by COVID-19. They're actually losing police officers, not defunding them by making uh, decisions at an executive level, but simply by mandating that vaccines be taken, and some people just don't want to do it. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com also brought to you by life in naples magazine be in the know and stay up to date by reading life in naples the website is lifeinnaples.net coming up bob levy chairman of the cato institute that and more right here in the bob harden show on the bob harden broadcasting network stay tuned for more of the bob harden show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabee's.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social, a new refreshing social networking platform. You can download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is an author. He's also a constitutional scholar and chairman of a terrific organization, the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. I want to pick up our conversation that we began a couple of weeks ago and into last week. We are talking about inequality. So uh, tell us how blacks and other minorities have fared under Donald Trump as president. Well, pretty good. <laughs> the, uh, last week we talked about overall econ- economic gains under the Trump administration. 
job gains, the unemployment rate, uh, wages, um, the labor participation rate, all of these uh, did very, very well in the Trump administration. And interestingly, the gains for blacks and other minorities uh, were uh, even better. The unemployment rate for blacks, 5.5%, was at a 50-year low. Hmm. That was about 2.3 points uh, above the white rate versus a 4.6 point difference uh, before the start of the uh, 2008 uh, recession. Uh, unemployment fell twice as much among blacks as among whites under Trump. Uh, nearly a million more blacks and two million more Hispanics were employed uh, than when President Obama left office. And minorities accounted for more than half of all the new jobs created under uh, under Trump. Wow. Uh, unemployment among black women was roughly around 5%, and that's the lowest it had been uh, since 1972. So we're talking about almost half a century. So the, the numbers for uh, blacks and other minorities in the Trump administration were very, very good. So how about folks who had to work multiple jobs and corporate profits that weren't reinvested? Yeah, that's always the, the left response. You know, yeah, maybe the numbers for minorities were pretty good, but isn't everybody working more than one job? And aren't, aren't these corporations uh, just keeping their their profits uh, or distributing to their shareholders and not reinvesting them to create more jobs? Well, about 5% of Americans uh, held more than one job, and that rate has been relatively constant mm-hmm. since 2010. So, you know, during the Trump administration, there wasn't any major change in that. There were roughly a million and a half fewer Americans working part-time for economic reasons than at the end of the Obama uh, presidency. Now, it's true that corporate profits grew four times as much during Trump's first two years uh, than during Obama's uh, second term. But that's a good thing. Uh, The bad thing was that dividends increased more during Obama's tenure. Why? Because the businesses delayed investing in equipment and buildings and workers. So what we had essentially was deregulation, tax reform, and energy exploration that fueled uh, the Trump economy. Uh, And now, uh, as we proceed into the Biden administration, the politicians want to reverse all of that. They want to raise taxes. They want to harass some of our major corporations. They want to eliminate fossil fuels and have government set the prices for health care. In my view, all of those policies are recipes for failure. Yeah. And keep everybody on the plantation from fewer jobs, more welfare. <laughs> So could you comment on the Laffer curve and the idea of supply-side economics? Yeah, this is the uh, theory that I think uh, animated the Reagan years uh, and has still some resonance today. And essentially, the theory goes like this. If you have a 0% tax rate, income tax rate, then government's going to get zero revenue, obviously. Well, suppose you had a 100% tax rate. If you had a 100% tax rate, government would also get zero revenue. Why? Because nobody's going to work if they have to turn up all of their income uh, to the government. Why uh, work when, in fact, you're not able to keep any of the fruits of your labor? So the supply-siders say, since 0% tax rate gives you zero revenue and 100% tax rate gives you zero revenue, there's some rate between zero and 100 that will maximize revenue. Somewhere along that curve. Let's find what that rate is, and that's where we should set our tax rate. Mm -hmm. It's less than 100. It's more than zero. Libertarians, on the other hand, have a different approach. The libertarian approach is not to maximize government revenue. The libertarians say, let's identify the legitimate functions of government, and then let's select the lowest rate 
that's going to fund those functions and no others. In short, let's have liberty trump growth and uh, federal tax revenues set all-time records each year from 2013 forward. So the problem is not maximizing federal tax revenues. The problem is too much spending, not tax rates. So supply-side economics worked well because taxes were clearly too high. But the reason that it worked well was not because we wanted to maximize government revenue. The reason is that we wanted maximum freedom for entrepreneurial and innovative activity in a private economy yeah. where people could keep the fruits of their own labor. Boy, that makes so much sense. Although I would suppose you'd prefer supply-side economics to what we have right now. Definitely. There's no question about that because uh, as supply-side economics works in practice, we end up reducing tax rates because there's not much question but that tax rates are too high and discourage uh, entrepreneurial activity at the moment. So with lower taxes, we'll get um, greater growth. We'll get more liberty. And oh, by the way, we'll probably get more tax revenues, even though the rates are lower because of the higher level of economic activity. But the objective is not to maximize the revenues. The objective is to get more growth and to maximize freedom. Which is, I think, superior in terms of uh, our objectives in this country, for sure. So, philosopher John Rawls made the best case for redistributing income. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, he wrote a book called The Theory of Justice, and his argument was, we don't know what natural abilities or initial assets and resources we're going to have when we're born. And therefore, we should reason from behind what he called a veil of ignorance. And the way we do that is let's protect the least advantaged. Let's confer the greatest benefit on the least advantaged, since we do not know behind this veil of ignorance whether we, in fact, might be among the least advantaged. So he didn't say let's have equal outcomes. He he would be willing to permit inequalities, but only if those inequalities redounded to the benefit of the least fortunate. So Rawls didn't argue for socialism. He acknowledged that unequal outcomes can yield better results, even for those at the bottom of the economic ladder. But he did argue for a progressive income tax. And I think there have been recorded, you know, about a half dozen key objections to Rawls's theory, even though it is, it's become the fundamental basis for welfare economics. First, he assumes that behind this veil of ignorance, we're going to prefer low-risk equality over high-risk freedom. Mm -hmm. But you know, the real world works pretty differently. Some people buy stocks, others bonds. Some people ride motorcycles. Uh, Some people engage in uh, in, uh, skydiving. So high risk is something that we may prefer. Some people may prefer it. Secondly, empirically, Laissez-faire produces the best outcome for the poor. I don't think there's much question about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rawls argues, well, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But the empirical evidence is pretty conclusive. And third, it's more just to reward effort, no matter the impact on the less affluent, than it is, in my view, to reward the less affluent, no matter whether or not they exert any effort to improve their lot in life. Uh, The fourth criticism is that Rawls advocates, as I mentioned, a progressive tax. Well, we have to ask how far should that concept go? Right now, 1% of the wealthiest people in this country pay 40% of the income tax. Mm. Is that progressive enough? Rawls doesn't give us any guidelines. And then finally, fifth criticism, why not equalize other things than money outcomes like brain, like physical appearance, like athleticism, not just income, not just wealth. Rawls also, I think, confuses ethics and politics. We may have a moral responsibility to help less fortunate people. That doesn't mean 
that we interpose government to coerce a moral behavior. There are some things that be ought to be left to the private sector, and morality is one of those. So interesting thing. I'll add, I'll add one, one addition, that is that our society is dynamic, and just because you might be at the bottom of the rung when you're 20 years of age, you can work your way up to the top. So, And vice versa, people can uh, make stupid decisions and lose their money. So, uh, it's Indeed, income classes are mobile, and they have been, and there is the biggest shift uh, at the top of the um, at the top of the income distribution. And the reason for that is uh, that during financial crises, the wealthiest lose the most money because the wealthiest take the most risks. So you do have this uh, mobility among income classes. And when you think you're helping one particular income class, there's no way to identify over a long period of time just who it is that's in that class. Right. Bob Levy, again, chairman of the Cato Institute. Really appreciate this conversation, Bob. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Bob. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of 1st Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you right by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Morning, Andy. Hey, I, I, I posted uh, your column on Byron Donald's uh, yesterday, actually this morning. I, th- I found it intriguing. Uh, any thoughts? Well, I'll talk more about it in a second. I'm trying to start a groundswell for the uh, vice presidential candidacy of Byron in 2024, but let me talk about that a little bit later. We have a lot of good news today, Bob. Sometimes wow. I have to dig for it, but today is just loaded with, with good news. <laughs> Sometimes you have to dig, but we have it. In the first place, even though the Let's Go Brandon theme has been broadly censored by big tech, two songs called Let's Go Brandon uh, have made the top of the charts uh, for iTunes, and one of them is at the top of the Amazon charts. 
So here we have an audience uh, that's driven by the younger generation, certainly, but they have broadly gone after this Let's Go Brandon theme and Let's Go Brandon songs. Uh, you know, that may seem like, like nothing, but I, I think it does reflect perhaps an undercurrent going on with the younger generations that, uh, that is being missed, certainly by the media and perhaps even by, uh, by the uh, conservative pundits. So I think that's, that's really good news. Um, also, Greta Thunberg, who is now a, an adult, so she stands eligible to be, uh, to be uh, attacked as an adult. She appeared on Sky TV in Australia and made her typical whiny presentation, concluding with her, her typical remark, how dare you ruin my life? Yeah. Uh, and of course, right after her presentation, the commentator from Sky TV went on and just excoriated her, and by the way, her entire generation, for not having the slightest understanding of how economics works. Thunberg throws around the word economics as if she's talking about something that's nasty and dirty and greedy. Uh, without any understanding, Bob, that economics is the word, <clears throat> in academics, it's the liberal arts subject, it's a behavioral subject. It, it basically, in its broadest sense, means how do human beings seek out the satisfaction of human needs? How is that done? And the word given broadly to that is economics. So the Sky commentator just just uh, excoriates her for not having the slightest understanding uh, of where her quality of life came from and where the quality of life for her whole generation came from. Yeah. One more, well, actually, two more pieces of good news, and then you can, uh, you know, uh, in interject. I know you will. I hope you will. Uh, <laughs> McAuliffe in uh, in in Virginia yeah. is is now in a statistical dead heat uh, with with Youngkin. Uh, I think they're, again, as we talked about last week, I think they're showing signs, uh, significant signs of panic. Uh, McAuliffe has invested approximately $100,000 in fake Facebook ads. Now, this has been widely documented. Uh, what he does with these ads is he links uh, his um, his uh, themes, his his commercials, let's say, with legitimate news sites. So if you're, if you're searching uh, for the news, Will automatically link up with McCullough's with, with McCullough's themes uh, without any understanding that you're no longer reading the news, but you're reading a political ad at that point. Uh, sort of a uh, no, not sort of a very devious tactic, especially as it affects the the younger generation, the younger readers. Uh, and one more piece of good news before we move on: uh, Fauci uh, has been. Uh, Fairly well excoriated also by the Wall Street Journal, their uh, op-ed columnist, Gary Saul Morrison, uh, where he talked about uh, the, the obvious lie that uh, Fauci uh, used. Uh, the lie was, was simply that he, uh, Fauci indicated himself that he lied that masks were useless because there weren't enough masks to go around and he wanted to ensure that the medical community had enough. Now, yeah. that may be in its own way a legitimate position, but it's not a position that can be taken by a scientist. And that becomes the theme of the Wall Street Journal and, and Morrison, is that scientists cannot deviate from the truth for any reason. Uh, and, he find, and Morrison finds beyond the Fauci circumstance a general process of using uh, science for and, and intertwining it uh, indistinguishably, indistinguishably from uh, the political positions surrounding it. So uh, if we go with the, the Brandon theme, the understanding of the uh, exploration of Thunberg and Fauci and the McAuliffe situation in in Virginia, I think there is a lot of good news if we want to harvest it, Bob. Uh, it sounds so interesting. I, you know, it's kind of interesting that 57.7% uh, of people, they've actually done a poll on this, uh, understand and recognize, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> and they also recognize what it means. Of course, it's a cover for as as uh, as uh, one uh, news commentator, I forget which network, uh, said that it, in the background they were chanting uh, "F Joe Biden," and she said, "Oh, they're saying uh, let's go, Brandon." <laughs> Well, that, that's the result of it. All that, people. That's, that's what gave the whole thing legs. And now I, I know there's a lot of conservatives that when they meet each other for lunch, they shake hands and they say, with that shake, let's, let's go, go Brandon. Back. It's, it's it, become a theme of the, of the right. It has a, a certainly a comedic nature, but it also reflects a, a general view of, of, of the Biden administration, well, a well-earned negative view of the Biden administration. Before we leave this in the call of, um, 
Obama had gone up to support the candidacy of uh, of McAuliffe. Uh, Biden was up there, and of course, Biden uh, attacked Trump as his basis for uh, for defaming Youngkin. So, you know, that's a typical uh, leftist approach. But Obama goes in there and he talks about how we must stop um, this nonsense with with discussions of, of culture. Uh, these, I think he described it as the phony trumped up culture culture wars. And of course, it's another illustration of where uh, the Democrats will accuse the Republicans of doing something that they're doing. And so there's no more greater intrusion on the American culture than is being launched by the by the Democrats right now in America. As a matter of fact, it might be the entire essence of the of the Democrat leftist process. Bob. Yeah, you know, hey, I'll add that. Uh, uh, of course, everybody's got their eyes on the Virginia governor race, but also uh, what's happening in New Jersey is kind of interesting. This Jack Ciccarelli uh, has uh, uh, been attacked by Murphy's record, and uh, the point is that there's this is a kind of in a dead heat as well. This race in New Jersey, so it may be that we'll have two uh, Democrat governors upset. Uh, in of course, uh, right now. McCullough's not governor, but uh, we could have some uh, major upsets in the governor's races this this week. Well, yeah, it was just as we described it last week. These are these are bellwether uh, elections, particularly for the for the Democrats. Um, certainly, with McCullough, uh, it was supposed to run away with the Virginia election in Murphy and Jersey. Uh, but the Virginia election, particularly, not so much Murphy and Jersey, but certainly McCullough. Uh, can lose these would be tremendous uh, negatives for the for the Democrats as they would go into the midterm elections in 2022. Uh, so these are sources of optimism. I I want to start building on these these sources of optimism. And uh, every day I, I get up and I I read nothing but uh, statements about the the left and uh, their their new horror that they've inflicted on America. I, yeah. I, as I mentioned to you a bit off air, I want to start talking about who we are, who we are on the right. You know what our ideas are, who our people are, what we what we favor and what we support. I want to hear more about us rather than just being reactive to what the Democrats. Yeah, that makes for. that makes all the sense. Little one one other comment about the McAuliffe. Uh, he, uh, of course, Joe Biden showed up. Uh, to support him, and they showed uh, the uh, the video of his uh, few minutes of his speech and him going around shaking hands and so forth without a mask and all that. But the most important thing to me was the fact that the room was empty, aside from a few people who were shaking hands with. There was hardly anybody there. I mean, just like during the uh, election, Biden can't draw any. He can't even draw flies for crying out loud. Well, I think that may once again highlight a concern that I've had. I, I think most uh, most. Uh, on the right have a concern with the legality of elections. I'm not going to make any larger claims than the potentials for illegality. Uh, as we look at the uh, the Republican intent to uh, to legalize the vote, all of those are consistently positioned as nothing more than voter suppression. I think we're hearing that constantly. So I think uh, with that theme being a constant theme for the left, that to me indicates that there is a strong potentiality for illegality in the elections. Uh, and it, it certainly uh, bothers me in terms of what might uh, eventually unfold in Virginia. But I, I'm not saying I know anything about it other than that theme of the Democrats, that legality uh, is suppression. And I think that theme means that they want the uh, the open election type of process where it has a greater chance of being uh, being made illegal by their forms. Bob. I think so as well. Um, and, of course, right now they adopted a lot of the policies because of covid uh, that are still in effect in Virginia. So that that is a real possibility that you're pointing out for now, sure. I think you just called me Bob. Did I call you Bob? I'm going to call Yeah, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> that's a compliment, you understand. Bob. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Andy. I'm sorry. So, uh, let, uh, any co opening comments about uh, Byron Donalds, though? I think your column was so interesting. Well, I, I published a column. It was called An Opening Gambit. And uh, my opening gambit was to suggest that as we project towards 2024, uh, I think we have to look at this as an election that that is going to need support. I, I think, as I described it, Bob, uh, in a in a historical America, uh, I think Trump in 2024 would win this election, as I described, running with a German shepherd. So I, I don't think Trump in a normal America needs any kind of help. But uh, in the America that is, I think that he's going to need all the help he can get. Uh, I do not see Mike Pence uh, offering that potentiality. 
And so what I offer up uh, is the, the potential candidacy of Byron Donalds. Uh, I build that on, on Byron's uh, background, uh, not only my friendship with him, which has been over a 10 or 11 year period, my knowledge of his, uh, of his positions, his fidelity, his, uh, his faith, uh, but also I, I, I know who this man is. and I've watched him consistently over the last 10 months as he's been the, uh, the go-to guy for all the conservative commentators in America, whether we're talking about Newsmax or Fox or uh, uh, or Levin, or um, um, he was on Tucker Carlson. He was on Tucker Mike Carlson. Gino, for example. Yeah, he was on Tucker Carlson last night. It just did a great job. He was the lead story. It had him on for fifteen minutes. Well, I think I think we've got to start looking at this. I I I, I wasn't just offering up some some wild-eyed hypothetical. I I think that there is a. Uh, a, a strong case that can be made for Byron Donalds. Yeah. Uh, I have predicted that Byron Donalds is going to have a, a, a strong career in the, in the, at the national level. Um, I think sometimes we, we wait too long, and right now America cannot wait too long, Bob. I think we've got to uh, harvest our talent right now, and I think, uh, as, as far as I'm concerned, and of course I'm a bit biased towards Byron, but I think Byron is the top of the heap in terms of the talent that this party brings uh, to the American people. Uh, no question about it. Uh, he's first rate, and I think he'd be a, a great vice president. I mean, certainly there's some things. He's he's a, more of a local politician than a national politician, but the media right now is really putting him in a position where he could uh, really assume that national role, but he would be a great vice president and a great president. He's got... Yeah, I, I was surprised. I published that, uh, that essay fairly late last night, and I had um, six or seven, perhaps, uh, favorable pieces of feedback from my from my readers. Uh, one wrote back and said he never heard of Byron Donalds. I said, how could you not hear of Byron Donalds? Um, and he also suggested something that uh, was a little bit uh, worrisome, uh, that perhaps uh, Trump should link himself with Chris Christie as his running mate. <laughs> no understanding at all of the, the way he is, Chris Christie, seen by the uh, by most people on the right. So uh, I think that uh, Byron Donalds uh, certainly uh, is not a likely person to get that vice presidential nod. But as I indicated in that essay back in 2008, when uh, I was asked a question early on as to who McCain would pick as his running mate, I said Sarah Palin. So it, it doesn't make me necessarily always right. Uh, but I think sometimes I have my finger on the pulse because of you know, my, my immersion in this for 45 years of my adult life, yeah, Bob, so as you do, as you do. Buddy. I would like to remind our listeners that if you go to my website and uh, the pull-down tab, correct me if I'm wrong, you'll find uh, Andy's column about uh, Byron there. It's uh, opening gambit, it's called. So uh, anyhow, I think it's, it's a great column, and I encourage people to uh, take a look at it. So, I, I hope they do. Uh, you know, I think Byron is getting the exposure he needs, but I think we have to bring more things to a focus, and, and that's what I tried to do. I, I, you know, I don't have a high degree of optimism that I generate any kind of leverage uh, in the larger American population, but things have to start someplace. And right. so I, I, I thought, thought that if I could just provide even a minimal stimulus to this process, that uh, it might prove uh, useful in the long run. I, I, as I said in the in the essay, I have not consulted with Byron on this position I took, so he might not uh, find it acceptable at all. But uh, uh, but I, as I say, I, I think that's what I think is best for America, and I hope that it eventually can come. To you know, uh, you wanted to talk about uh, who we are, and uh, unfortunately, we're not going to have time for that. But I would love to get your comments on vaccine mandates for children, uh, and uh, what your thoughts might be. Well, I mean, I. My, my thoughts are that this is one of the most outrageous things that's ever happened in right. the American uh, body politic, and it's uh, it's not science uh, to inflict these uh, these vaccines on younger children, five to eleven year olds, and perhaps even younger than that. As this thing unfolds, uh, with really no long term implication of the uh, what might be the long term side effects, uh, children who are uh, I think the death rate for those under twelve has been something like one in 200,000, or I, I forget the exact number, but it's, it's a minimal chance or risk of mortality uh, to then inflict this on these children uh, with, with so little scientific um, 
a history to these vaccines, I think, is a is an outrage. If I was a parent of a young child and uh, they were being forced, forced uh, to get vaccinated as a ticket to be able to go into a public school, uh, I would I would be outraged. So uh, and I'm sure parents are exactly in that outrage. Well, as long as we're sort of touching on this, I would like to mention the uh, National Education Society's uh, attack on parents' involvement with uh, with the uh, the curriculum of schools. Uh, certainly, parents have a significant role to play in that process. They always have. Who I don't want determining the curriculum of the school system are the teachers. Right. They are just instruments of delivering the message as determined by the citizens of a community. They are not free-speaking, free authors of their own independent thoughts. This nonsense that public school teachers are there to say what they want is absolutely outrageous. That particular position may be true at the collegiate level, but it is certainly not true at the public school level. Yeah, well, it's good. well and you know, in fact, during, back to McAuliffe, Apparently, in his race, the polls are showing that 37%, especially Democrats, support the notion that par- that it's the uh, uh, school board, not the parents, that should be making the decisions on the content and curriculum. If you could believe that. And to me, it's just outrageous that anybody would think anybody other than parents would make a decision about what children should learn and uh, how they should learn it. It's, it should be a parental decision, not certainly up to a school board. Well, when I was an activist, uh, as I mentioned to you several times back in the uh, early to mid-90s, you know, parents uh, tended to be very um, supportive in many cases of their public schools to a large extent because there was a concern for what would happen for their children, to their children, if they became activists protesting what was going on in the public schools. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure if we can take the, the pure parental view, but having said that, uh, certainly parents have a role to play, the boards of education have a role to play, and the states have a role to play. This must be a combined effort, uh, and it can't be just uh, whatever the teacher does when he closes or she closes that door. Yeah. That is not what public school education is about. It is about producing quality citizens. Uh, and if it's not doing that, Bob, if it's in fact through their input, uh, turning children against their parents, turning children against their country, turning children against themselves uh, if they're white. That is not an acceptable process for the public schools. Well, well said, Andy. I wish we had time. Maybe I'll find some time later in, in the week for us to talk about who we are because I think it's a needed conversation. Andrew Jump, again, professor of, uh, and author of Josephus of Oz. I hope you check out Josephus of Oz uh, at any bookstore. Andy, always appreciate your commentary on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk soon, Bob. Thank you so much. Coming up, uh, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence. 
serving kindergartens through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education and the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. Terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can get tickets now by visiting the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture. He's the author of several books. His latest is What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional, and a new one that's coming out in just a few weeks, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier. It's a book that he co-authored with Buzz Aldrin. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. And Bob, thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Professor. Do we have a date now on when the book is coming out? No, it's still holding. Uh, I guess the publisher is still wrapping up some... uh, Final details, so we'll see. All right. So uh, you also write a column for Newsmax. Uh, it's called On Point, and your latest is intriguing and it's scary, quite frankly. More intrusion on our personal uh, on our personal lives. Environmental, social, and governance investment policies. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, Bob. Um, Starting to knit together some some economic. Uh, Policy issues that I think are pretty scary, and uh, and in this past article, previous article, I mentioned this these, these credit scores that uh, are very much pushed by you know, big investment companies like like BlackRock and 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 some of the other big globalist firms that want to establish these kind of social justice uh, agendas and uh, anti-fossil, you know, pro. Uh, quote, green energy, et cetera, and, and to kind of force these on, on, uh, on investors, including uh, managers of 401k accounts and so on, to, to qualify, you need to have these, uh, these, these scores, which is very reminiscent of what we see the credit scores and now in China, mm-hmm. you know, where they with facial recognition and you know, if you, you don't lease your dog and, and you, you you buy too many videos or whatever else is decided by the government as being, uh, in you know, not not in line with their with their agenda, then then basically, you know, maybe you you can't uh, fly in an aircraft or stay in a first class hotel or whatever. So it's scary. But I'm if you dig into this, I think it's it's even scarier than that. Uh-huh. With you know the, the these uh, these social justice scores that are being pushed now by the Biden Labor Department uh, is also as uh, as you, you kind of knit this stuff together, you see Biden's pick as of this you know Marxist Saul Amarova to they have the Office of of Controller of Currency, which is an independent branch of the of the Department of Treasury and. And she's uh, she's she's really a, a Marxist, and she's she wants to uh, to to make the the you know the Federal Reserve the central bank and of of the country, and really eliminate private banks and private bank accounts. I mean, she's says this; it's quite clear. Mm. And then you've got the you know the with the spending that we're seeing that's just uh, actually going to bankrupt the country. We've got the Federal Reserve owning about a quarter of the of the debt, and, we, and we're supposed to see the the Fed being totally independent from Treasury. Well, good luck with that. You've got, you know, the former uh, head of the Fed, uh, Janet Yellen, who's now head of the Treasury. Uh, now with this independent branch <laughs> that they're proposing to put this Marxist in charge of, and and Yellen is very much in favor of these of these credit scores. So, so I, you see this 
huge sweep, attempted sweep of of uh, uh, all of our legislative prerogatives and, and transfer not only of state rights and and so on to the federal government, but but to really uh, uh, change the whole banking system or fundamentally eliminate it. Hmm. It's it's a very very scary time. It is indeed, and Professor, if I read uh, your column correctly, it sounds like uh, they'd like to have some influence in the decisions you can make in your 401k, and I can't think of anything. I mean, that's a pretty private decision, to be able to decide what you're going to invest in or for your future, and apparently they're going to have some influence on whether you can invest in certain things, for example, that are more environmental or, or more supportive of uh, their agenda, their political agenda. I was totally politicizing everything, and it's the sense of now you know we we're, we're running we're rushing into this this uh, you know I think I've got an article coming out uh, on Friday about the perfect timing of this, this Glasgow conference the climate conference starting on Halloween I thought that's very appropriate timing <laughs> yes. and where all these flights are going to you know to Glasgow now to you know to to you know to talk about how how the climate is affecting there's a session on gendered you know. Gender equity yeah. on the climate conference. And, and see where this is going, and it's just absolutely insane, and 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 it's tied in. So so, you know, the equity is a consideration in these scores, and 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 you have to, uh, you know, uh, not invest in fossil energy. Well, good luck with that this winter. Yeah, with uh, you know, with a global shortage of coal and fossils and. And good luck with those windmills and sunbeams keeping your pipes from freezing. So it's absolutely insane policy. It's not only insane, but it's it's uh, very very terrifying in terms of of the sense of free market economy and 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 uh, you know our, just basically our you know the rights and privileges that we've enjoyed as a free country. And yeah, uh, it, it's happened so fast. It's just. Uh, it's just treacherous. It is treacherous, and and by the way, most of these decisions are not being made by elected officials. These are just bureaucrats that are uh, t- that are taking. I don't know. They're using executive uh, decisions or w- exactly what they're doing. But the, in, in other words, these things are happening not because Congress voted them into law or the president signed a law, but because they just decided this is what we're going to do in the alphabet agencies. Well, not only that, but you know, we have these these civil servants who. Uh, a lot of holdovers, you know, of course, from the, from the Clinton administration, from Obama, and so on. And they have, you know, they have these righteous causes that they support, they're like doubling the size of the IRS. Well, this is doubling, and you know, they're all, you know, they're going to vote Democrat, just like yeah. people crashing the border. You know, they're counting on, you know, they build up this 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 huge uh, uh, pool of of clear voters, and then of course they've tried to make Washington, D.C. a state, and so, you know, it's happening on every front. You know, we're seeing uh, not just one thing, but um, so many of them, and we, this uh, Sal Amarova, I mentioned, is, you know, is, is kind of below the radar of most most Americans, because most people have never heard of the Office of Controller of Currency, you know, or who heads that, or what, mm-hmm. you know, what uh, department's under, you know, it's under Treasury. And this this absolute collusion between you know the Treasury and the Fed, which are supposed to both be independent of one another, well, that isn't that isn't the case clearly. And then you've got uh, you know these huge investment funds that are that are beating the same drum. With I mentioned BlackRock, and 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 you've got uh, you know a whole bunch of other ones. So uh, we, we've got to we've got to reverse the tide of this thing because. Uh, we're just being flooded with with a whole lot of uh, uh, milk um, Marxism <laughs> in water that we want to we want to deal with. I won't use the word. Yeah. So again, uh, Professor, just very enlightening conversation. I do want to refer our listeners to your column on point. You'll find it on uh, Newsmax dot com. Take a look at environmental, social, and governance policy is investment policy, but also past columns by uh, Professor Larry Bell. Professor, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And, Bob, thanks so much. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests for tomorrow. 
Uh, I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.